Samantha. We are moving through the book of Romans. Just a couple more messages. And uh, we're in chapter 16 this morning. Uh, titled this message, Wolves Among the Sheep. But as I say, wolves, these are oftentimes unintentional wolves. They bring pain to the body of Christ, but may actually have good intentions in the process. Uh, turn me uh, Romans 16, we're going to look at verses 17, and I think I'm going to stop at verse 20. So I ask you to stand in our God's honor as I read aloud. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Let's pray. Master, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for loving us in spite of us often, Lord. Thank you that as we come together, there is one Savior, there is one God, there is one in charge, and that is you. And as we have come, may our eyes and our hearts and every part of us be fixed upon you as king. Guide us in this time, Father. May we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes God's people hurt each other. Sometimes there's pain in a church. And many times uh, the people who hurt others, oddly enough, don't realize the pain they're bringing. Because they have such a deep sense of, you know, this is what's right and this is the way it has to be. But oftentimes, it's not from the Lord. And over the years, I've seen some people suffer because of that. And then there are other people, they're just mad at the world and somehow end up in church. As a friend of mine used to say, he says, I do pray not only for blessed additions, but blessed subtractions. And sometimes those are the case as well. Paul had his share of uh, difficulties with those um, who he disagreed with. And he gave, basically, in today's terms, he told Timothy, you know, develop a thick skin, young fellow. But in 2 Timothy 4.14, he mentions Alexander the metal worker. He says, Alexander the metal worker, metal worker did me a great deal of harm. We don't know exactly what. We just know he hurt Paul. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. <laughs> I thought, wow, what an honest remark by the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say, Lord, strike him. He says, Lord, I know you'll, you're just. You'll take care of this. Um, as I was studying this, and I looked at how sometimes misunderstandings result in people getting hurt. I don't know who wrote this, but they took different characters of the Bible as if they would be, uh, you know, prospects for a pastor search committee. And saw their weak points, and ran with them. And I want to read a list of some of these. Uh, I found this uh, interesting. The following is our confidential report on the candidates. 
Adam. Good man, but problems with his wife. Also, one reference told of how his wife and he enjoys walking nude in the woods. Noah, former pastor of 120 years with no converts, prone to unrealistic building projects. Abraham, though the references reported wife swapping, the facts seem to show he never slept with another man's wife, but did offer to share his own wife with another man. Joseph, big thinker but a braggart, believes in dream interpreting and has a prison record. Moses, modest, meek man, poor communicator, even stuttering at times, sometimes blows his stack, acts rashly. Some say he left an earlier church over a murder charge. David, a most promising leader until we discovered an affair he had with his neighbor's wife. Solomon, great preacher, but our parsonage would never hold all those wives. (laughs) Elijah, prone to depression, collapses under pressure. Hosea, tender, loving pastor, but our people could never handle his wife's occupation. Jeremiah, mostly unstable, alarmist, negative, always lamenting things, reported to have taken a long trip to bury his underwear on the bank of a foreign river. Isaiah, on the fringe, claims to have seen angels in church, has trouble with his language. Jonah refused God's call into ministry until he was forced to obey by getting swallowed by a great big fish. Amos, too backward and unpolished, with some seminary training, maybe, but he's a hang-up against wealthy people. Might fit him better in a poor congregation. John says he's a Baptist, but definitely doesn't dress like one. (laughs) Has slept in the outdoors for months on end, has a weird diet, and provokes denominational leaders. Peter, too blue-collar, has a bad temper, even has been known to curse. Had a big run-in with Paul, aggressive, loose cannon. Paul, powerful CEO leader type, fascinating preacher, however he's short on tact, unforgiving with younger ministers, and he's harsh, they say. Timothy, too young. Jesus, has had popular times, but once when his church grew to 5,000, he managed to offend them all, and this church dwindled down to 12 people. Seldom stays in one place very long, and of course, he's single. Judas. His references are solid, a steady plotter, conservative, good connections, knows how to handle money. We're inviting him to preach this Sunday. Possibilities here. Sometimes we don't see the picture very clearly, do we? Sometimes there's pain that comes because people begin to see from the wrong perspective and they begin to jump in areas that cause issues and problems and as we look at this section of scripture to begin with let's look at what was happening here look at verse 17 as he's talking to the church at rome he says i urge you brothers he says watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned now he's writing here to believers, he's not writing here to those who are just curious about the faith, those who have been investigating the faith. He's writing to those who walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he's writing to them, he says, guys, be careful. He says to them, watch out for those who are causing divisions, who, who want to pull people apart rather than together in unity into the Lord. That, that, that word... Um, that's translated divisions here is used one other time in the New Testament. 
Um, In Galatians chapter 5, we have the fruit of the Spirit. But previous to the fruit of the Spirit, we have uh, the fruit of what it's like without God in your life, the fruit of the sinful nature. It says, uh, this is Galatians 5, 19 and 20, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. There's a word. Factions. These don't come from the Holy Spirit. These don't come from God. They're a result of when God is left out of our lives. They're a result when we are closed to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, guard yourself against those who it's their attitude is my way or the highway instead of really seeking God's way. We're... What is the result of that? Well, 1 John 2.16 is a verse that tells us what it is like when we are not ruled by the Spirit of God. So in 1 John 2.16, we read, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that's that craving we have in each of us for those things which are opposed to God. The lust of his eyes. Ooh, I gotta have that. Looks so good. And the boasting of what he has and does, some translations of pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And he goes on, it says, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God is the one who lives forever. It, it's the one that's not tuned in to God and his word, and his will, and his ways. And he says, watch out for those people. They stir up the pot. They spread rumors, and, and they cause hostility, and they cause disagreement in the body of Christ. And they make the minors the majors, and the majors become minors, and suddenly we lose track of why we're here and what we're about. What's going on? Why was it happening? Well, that's in verse 18. He says, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. They use smooth talk. They, they use flattery in, in order to get their way, in order to push through their agenda. That's why it's happening. They're not serving Christ. They're serving their own agendas. And as he's talking here, he says, be careful. Watch out for this. I thought of Proverbs fourteen fifteen that says, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Don't be gullible. Don't just take everything at instant face value. Seek God. Pray about things. Get some some, uh, insight. Three gateways here that are pivotal to that. And, And I want to close and look at the importance of this because when I say the church, it's us together, but it's made up of us individually. Which means I have to seek God and you have to seek God. And we all have a personal responsibility in that. And these three gateways are key to that. So that we are not one of those who cause division. But rather that we are a people who are unified in Christ. And in his ministry. And in the mission. The cause of of forgiveness and love and reconciliation. And reaching out to people to show them God loves them. Um, Three gateways. Number one. The scriptures. This is not just some old archaic book. The Bible says the word of God is living. It is active. And this is not a book that 
spoken. It's a book that speaks. This is a book where God's very truth comes alive. And we need to be a people of the book. We need to be a people that don't just talk about the Scripture being God's Word. We need to be a people where God's Word is part of our lives. Where not just that we mark up the Bible, but the Bible marks us up. And is a part of who we are. And secondly, um, bringing glory to Christ. Our lives are to bring glory to God. So the question is, will this bring glory to God? Uh, you know, I told the story in college so many times with a friend of mine, that a football player that got saved. And, and uh, you know, it was so funny. And uh, I was walking down the hall, and, you know, this guy's like, I don't know, 6'4", 285 pounds. He picks me up and says, tell me about Jesus. And he's shaking me. And I said, well, put me down, I will. You know, so he put me down, and, and I'll, I'll never forget, we started going over Scripture together and praying together, and he, he stopped this guy in the hall that was headed to a bar. And I've shared this so many times, I know with you, but it just sticks in my mind. He says, where are you going? He said, I'm going to the bar. He looks at him, and he says, I'm looking through the door, by the way, kind of hiding. He's out in the hall, and he says, if you can't get down on your knees and ask God to bless it, it ain't worth doing. Oh, well, that's good stuff. That's what it means, the glory of God. If it's not worth getting down on your knees and asking God to bless it, hey, don't do it. Third one, um, will this promote godliness in my life? Not just will it bring glory to God, will I be closer to Christ as a result of this? So those three things are key. All right, how, how's this to be handled? Uh, three words here. The first one is observation. In verse 17, um, he says, watch out for. Hey, be aware of. Don't, don't let things just pass by you. Be keenly aware. Watch your surroundings. And say, God, show me what you're up to, God. Reveal to me your truth. Re reveal to me what's really happening, Lord. Help, help me not be dumbfounded. Give me an awareness. And uh, that's, that's so important and it's so key to what God's about. Second word is confrontation. Not only must we be aware of what is happening and seek God's wisdom in it, that he'll open our eyes that we can see. Secondly, there comes a time where we need to confront. Boy, this is no fun, and nobody wants to do it. But the truth of the matter is, there is a time where the right thing to do is to talk to someone. And you don't do this publicly. I don't think God ever wants us to humiliate anybody. But I think there does come a time where... After much prayer and privately you go to someone and you speak to them. You have that heart to heart. Because it's not right for a person to run over God's people. Too often we let people just run over the top of us and cause disagreement. And that, I don't believe, is God's plan. Uh, this is from 3 John, verse 10. There's just one chapter, so I uh, can't say chapter then verse 10. So when I come... I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and who puts them out of the church. He says, hey, be honest about it. Being loving does not mean ignoring it. Talk to them. You see, they're not only hurting the other people in the church, they're hurting themselves. 
And, and so you, need to, you say, well, it's going to be painful. Well, if you kick a skunk, it's going to stink. But it's, you just, it's going to stay there and keep stinking. And, and so that's the call. And then one last word here is to separate. As he says at the end of verse 17, keep away from them. One final word of, of counsel. This is from the message, uh, which is a paraphrase. One final word of counsel, friends. Keep a sharp eye out for those who take bits and pieces of the teaching you've learned and use them to make trouble. Give these people a wide berth. They have no intention of living for our Master Christ. They're only in this for what they can get out of it and aren't above using pious, sweet talk to dupe unsuspecting innocence. He says, have your boundaries. Don't engage in what is destructive. Have a willingness to cut it off instead of going along with it. You know, have a willingness to say, you know, this is, this is wrong. I'm not going to talk about this. If, you know, we used to always say when the kids were small, Ephesians 4.29, they were so tired of hearing that verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. Is it beneficial? If it's not, then zip it. You know, that, that's the picture here. Don't be one that spreads the trouble. Know uh, when that needs to be stopped. Steer clear of. And then he comes into verses 19 and 20. And this is from Philip's translation. He says, your loyalty to the principles of the gospels known everywhere. And that gives me great joy. I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. Isn't that a great phrase? I want you guys to be known as, man, there are people that do good. And, and just beginners in evil. I don't want a reputation among the church. That's a rough bunch. They need grace because they're a rough bunch. You know, and, and he goes on, he says, well, it will not be long before the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, I love it here in verse 19. He says, everyone's heard about your obedience. In other words, they were doing stuff the right way. They were having difficulties, but they were handling this according to the Scripture in a loving way that was firm and, and, and that was building people together instead of tearing them apart. There's a book by Marshall Shelley that uh, a lot of seminaries recommend for preachers to read uh, in going into churches where, you know, there's people who, I don't know, are just trying power hungry and there's this battle. And Anyway, he's written this book called Well-Intentioned Dragons. And I want to read just a excerpt from the book because uh, he talks about the fact that these are people, like I said, it's not like they want to destroy. They want to cause pain. But so often... They cause a lot of pain to church. He says, this is from the book, the distinguishing characteristic of a dragon is not what is said, but how it's said. Often they have a spirit enjoys being an adversary rather than an ally. They have a spirit that's quick to vilify, slow to apologize. Dragons usually cannot bring themselves to accept responsibility for something that's gone wrong. And hence, they resist asking anyone to forgive. They destroy enthusiasm the morale so necessary for church health and growth. People no longer feel good about inviting friends to church to worship. 
The air is tense, the church depressed, and everyone aware of us and them. The effects on pastors is equally serious. They sap the pastor's energy and just as damaging, goad them into reacting instead of acting. Paul's saying, man, we don't want that to be a part of the church here at Rome or in our church or anybody of Christ. Now, let me close here with these three areas and I, I want to explain expound on them a little bit because I, I think you know the way for us to be a church that's mature is to take these three things to heart and that God will keep us close in Him when we do. First, Scripture. Scripture straight from God and completely trustworthy. Second Corinthians three sixteen and 17. There's probably quite a few of you that quote, can quote it with me. He says, first off, all Scriptures God breathed. Think about this, guys. This book comes from the mouth of God. These are his words. You, you know, when I speak, you say, well, Todd said that. Well, praise be to God that what I'm sharing is a lot more than what Todd can say. It's what God says. Through, it comes his mouth. It's God-inspired. All Scripture is inspired from the mouth of God. And it's useful for teaching. So, so that we can learn straight from the master rabbi, the master teacher himself, for correcting when we get off the road. He gives us instructions on how to get back on the road. Rebuking when we need a spiritual spanking and he needs to get a hold of us, it's there. For training in righteousness. And why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to be in the book. And there's just no substitute for that. We have all fancy ways and and, and we can be pretty slick in our presentations and, 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 you know, all of the modern church that we have at our disposal. But there's no substitute for the Scripture. It's just, there's no substitute. Secondly, our greatest longing to be a, a mature church is to glorify God. God is to be the one on the platform. He's the one to be elevated, not you and me. Listen to these words of John Piper. God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of Him. Isn't that good? God does not exist to make much of us. We exist to make much of Him. That's the call. That's when a church is alive. And that's when a church is mature. When the longing of the body of Christ is to elevate and lift up our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our God is who we want to get the credit. <laughs> who we want to get the attention. Man, that's... I love, uh, this is from Max Lucado's book. Uh, what a great illustrator he is. And by the way, we're doing a Max Lucado study on Wednesday nights. We're uh, video with Max Lucado. It's been a real blessing on grace. But listen to this quote. This is one of my favorite illustrations on giving God the glory. He writes, What does the moon do? She generates no light. Contrary to the lyrics of the song, this harvest moon cannot shine on. Apart from the sun, the moon's nothing more than a pitch black pockmarked rock. But properly positioned, the moon beams. Let her do what she was made to do, and a clot of dirt becomes a source of inspiration. Yea, verily, romance. The moon reflects the greater light, and she's happy to do so. You never hear the moon complaining. <laughs> she makes no waves about making waves. Let the cow jump over her or astronauts step on her. She never objects. Even though sunning is accepted while mooning is the butt of bad jokes, you won't hear old cheese face grumble. <laughs> The moon is at peace in her place, and because she is, soft light touches a dark earth. What would happen if we accepted our sun as sun reflectors, S-O-N? 
Such a shift comes so stubbornly, however. We've been demanding our way, stamping our feet since infancy. Aren't we all born with a default drive set on selfishness? I want a spouse who makes me happy and co-workers who always ask my opinion. I want weather that suits me, traffic that helps me, and a government that serves me. It's all about me. But it's not. Maturity comes when we see it's about Him. He didn't come to make much of us. We're here to make much of Him. Third, will this promote godliness in my own life? Martin Luther wrote, The heart of religion lies in its personal prominence. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He came to save all of us. But it hits home when we understand He came to save me. He is my Savior. He is my God. He is my hope. He has redeemed me. That's what Christianity is about. Not just that God loves the world. He loves me. He loves you. The personal pronouns make all the difference, guys. This is not just a bunch of facts. This is hope. (laughs) This is what God does. In His personal touch, He reaches out to us. I mean... You know, I was thinking about this through the scriptures we read. He walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He, God called to Moses by name from a burning bush. It says that Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. And we, we read about the apostle Paul, his Hebrew name Saul, as he was headed on the Damascus road and God brought him to his knees, blinded him, and and he says, what do you want of me? And he hears, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we know he's new marching orders, and his name became Paul. And it wasn't that it was such a, a big name change. It doesn't really say in the Bible that God changed his name from Saul to Paul. But his heart was to reach out to the Gentiles, so he changed his Hebrew name to his Latin name, Paul, in order to reach out to a world and show them, I'm not just someone coming from outside your world. I I want to connect to you because there's something worth telling you about. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has always been that personal God that reaches out to us. It says in John verse 1, I mean chapter 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That's our personal God. We are to receive Him. We are to believe in Him. We are to put the weight of our confidence and our hope in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, He says, Welcome to the family. You become my child. There's hope and there's new life and there's eternity with the living God. There's heaven. That's what it's about. And then for those of us who have experienced that, we still have a call here to follow the one who has saved us out of the pit of sin. Listen to Colossians 2, 6, and 7. He says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, overflowing with faithfulness, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught. That's the call of the church. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, as we come to You and... We confess, Father, there have been times in our own lives where we weren't in tune with you and caused some pain among your people, Lord. Uh, 
Forgive me, Father, when I fulfilled that role. I pray for my brothers and sisters here as well. Father, may we look to you, Father. May we really seek you and your word. May our desire be to elevate you, not that you make much of us, but that we make much of you, O oh God. And Father, may we long to be like Jesus. May we ask, is this making me more like Jesus when I do this, when I say this, when I read this? Father, when you are working in those three doorways, Father, you make a, a people that fall in love with you and you that can, Father, just make a difference. And, and I pray for that here at Kingsway, Lord. May I be that type of man. And may my brothers and sisters here also follow that, Lord. Follow you. <laughs> I pray this morning with an altar that's open. If we need to come, may we come and pray. There's a decision publicly that needs to be made. May it be made. If it's to follow you in baptism after trusting you as Savior and Lord, may we do that. Or if it's to follow you for the first time as Savior and Lord, it's just as simple but as life-changing as saying, okay, God, I need you to forgive me, to live in me and to give me a new start. And you promised to do that all because Jesus willingly came and died on the cross and rose from the grave. And supply it away. So Father I just pray. Whatever the call. That you would speak to us. And that we would come. In Christ's name we pray.